Hi, this is Kathy St. George. I like to talk about my body. I don't know about my work. I try to do as little of that as possible. I make everyone else look beautiful. In fact, I'm really a man. You're listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that we will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. Welcome and good evening to another year of Area 51 recordings of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We are the only podcast to guarantee to remain carbon neutral. I'm not sure how we do it. I believe you palm the ball, then you hide it in your palm as you drop the other ball into your... Well, I'd be giving it away and then Penn and Teller would be very upset. Hey, everybody, I'm your vaccinated host, The Dome. This is episode 511. You know what that means, don't you? Dial 511, see what happens. I have no idea. (laughs) So tonight, it's another mask-mandated semi-quarantine evening here in Area 51. In this episode, it's fun and blood. We'll get into what that means in a minute. In the Area 51 broadcast facility here tonight at the help desk and snickersnack bar, it's me and Commander Cam. This week, he's bloody. And we're both bloody, actually, because, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Hey, Commander, how are you, buddy? I'm doing good, and there's a good reason why I'm bloody at the moment. Well, besides <laughs> besides what we're going to talk about in a little bit, I decided that I'm going to st- try, because of what we're going to be talking about in a few minutes, you know, I decided to try a new type of daiquiri. It was inspired by the ending of what we read today, tonight. Okay. And, uh, so I've decided to make bloody daiquiris. Oh, see, because I read it wrong when I got the thing. Because uh, oh. I'm, I'm, I mixed my own cocktail tonight. It's a bloody Larry. Well, you know that could be pretty good, but I ran out of Larrys. I, All I, I had was Moe's and Curly's, and you know, it just wasn't the same. I understand how that could happen. I do understand how that could happen. Um. In this week's file of fun, in the email, uh, <laughs> we got one of the oddest comic books we've gotten in a while. Uh, and I should have known when we got it that this was going to be bloody. Um, the first page of it, when we opened it up, was issue 01 of Rise of Dracula. And holy grapolis, this was bloody fun. Uh, And it took me about four or five pages before I began to understand what was going on in this thing. But to help us make sense of it is the writer and the guy who put this all together, Rich Davis. Rich, welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. (laughs) 
Wow. Holy crap. <laughs> I take it that's a good wow. <laughs> I I think we can say that for sure. Um, you started off with this whole Dracula thing with with a whole big book called uh, um, Cult of Dracula a while back, a year yeah. and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And that like took the 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 comic book world by storm and everybody looked at it and went um it it, it was bloody cool <laughs> yes it was it was uh cult was definitely um a really if you're a a fan of hardcore gore porn horror um <laughs> cult is definitely gore for you porn. oh yes it's it's I've... it's a thing in the horror world I will second that statement. This was definitely gore porn at, at, at its best. When I uh, when I was writing porn. Cult of Dracula, I, um, I I'm a horror fan. Uh, you know, I I've been watching horror since I was a little three four year old kid hiding behind my parents' couch, peeking around the corner to watch Scooby Doo. I would get terrified, but I'd absolutely love it. Uh, so when I was writing uh, Cult of Dracula, I wanted it to be something that horror fans could be proud of, you know, something written by a horror fan for horror fans. So we do pay tribute to several different genres of horror uh, and gore porn is definitely one of them. Wow. What made you, what made you go to, I mean, cause you really don't uh, hold back. No. And see that, that's something that's always infuriated me about, um, uh, about mainstream horror uh, graphic novels, films, whatever they 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 get right to this edge of what a, a horror fan wants, and then they back off. It's like they're afraid to go there. And the horror films that I that I grew up loving, you know, were the uh, the late seventies, early eighties slasher films. And those guys, man, they were cowboys. They they didn't give a damn. They just whatever whatever they you know great have this great gory horror movie. And at the end, you know, you the 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 per, the woman that you thinks the villain flashes everybody, and she's got a penis. You know, I mean, that was horror. And they did not back off of that at all. That was Sleepaway Camp, if you haven't watched it. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> I'm but, with you. You know, and you know the Tom Savini, and I mean those guys. Uh, you know. They were, they were cowboys and trailblazers and um, uh, Eli Roth comes closest to that um, in modern uh, among modern horror filmmakers, maybe Rob Zombie as well, because they both absolutely love horror and it's very clear with what happens and, you know, with the, the products they produce. So I wanted to go in that vein and I, I, I promised myself if I write this story, I'm not holding back. I'm not pulling punches. I'm not, I'm not trying to get a PG 13 rating. I'm going straight, hardcore rated R um, mature audiences. And if you're a kid reading this, you're going to be offended because you're a kid and you shouldn't be reading it. But, but you absolutely do and i mean and and then you get into then we we get into this oh <laughs> okay uh, i gotta tell you there are points at which my stomach churned <laughs> that's good that is the reaction that uh that you want. I wanted yeah yeah you know i mean we do uh you know the 
Well, in Cult of Dracula, within the first three pages, um, you find uh, the detective Agent Brom as he arrives at this horrible, horrible crime scene. Um, you know, he he finds a woman and he turns her over and her head falls off. She's been decapitated. Mm -hmm. And that's not the most horrific thing in that panel. Nope, um, it sure as hell isn't. <laughs> <laughs> because when this woman, when she was decapitated, she fell and she collapsed on top of the infant child she was trying to save, and that child smothered to death. So, I mean, yeah, the Cult of Dracula is straight, pure, unadulterated horror. And I don't think you let up much with this next uh, series, too. My whole uh, little uh, bit of uh, riffing earlier about um, uh, blenders and blood was kind of <laughs> yeah you know the scene oh it's yeah like, what, last page i think it's like maybe the third to last panel so mm -hmm. fourth to last panel but anyway seriously it's like it's like a blender of blood it's, it's mm -hmm. the only way i could explain it except for the fact you turn the blender upside down but mm -hmm. still people just if, if you like this kind of stuff you do have to sit to pick this book up just for that one scene because seriously yeah. i'm looking at that going that is going to be the most inventive thing I've seen in a long time. And I've seen some stuff. And it was like, and I pretty much went through this whole thing. I'm going, okay, I've seen this, seen it. And I'm going, blender of blood. I mm. love it. It's and, a... it and, just, and, the, and the fact that you've got basically what's going on beneath it is, an, is it basically an orgy of blood. Mm. And you've got this, this blender that's serving bloody daiquiris or bloody larrys. <laughs> It's, and like whoever a, it's like a vampire foam party. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> There's another way to put it. I like that. Yes. <laughs> uh, I wanted with that scene, um, you know, because the, the, the first part of Rise number one opens with this very, you know, somber. Um, uh, well, I mean, it, it opens with the genocide of Washington, D.C. Vampires have taken over and they I mean, first, second page, you get to see the Supreme Court justices impaled on spikes. So it's very dark, very depressing in the beginning. So I wanted to end it on kind of an upbeat note. So, you know, what would vampires do after they just completely sacked a city? They'd throw a rave, of course. Yeah, and that's uh, is what you hit. <laughs> but it's it it's that whole scene is just wonderfully done, and and that that one like I said that one moment like you said it's it's almost a foam party for vampires, and so I just think that and and there is some some other stuff in there. I mean, I'm not saying that's the only thing that people are going to really enjoy, but that for me was what really got me because it was something I had never seen before. So just think. And I don't know if that's you, you working with your art team that came up with that image, but it 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 is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, Puis and I work very well together. Puis Calzada is uh, my artist. He was with me from issue three of Cult of Dracula, and now he's signed on for the remainder of the Dracula books. Um, yeah, Puis and I, we work very well together. I, uh, I write the scripts um, probably a little bit differently than some comic book creators do. Uh, one thing I've learned, there is no right or wrong way to write a comic book script. There are just people with different ways and different methods. But the way I do it is a lot like a screenplay. 
you know, I'll block it out like, you know, uh, with a page, we're going to set up with this many panels. This is what happens in the first panel, second panel, third panel, fourth panel. And then Puis translates that and turns my words into stunningly beautiful images. So it, we, we worked very well together. When you put this script together, because it clearly <laughs> is a script. Mm. Um, and it's also clearly a historical metaphor mm -hmm. uh did you intend it to be or did it just kind of fall into place as a historical metaphor of world war ii so i wanted to pull i i specifically made those choices um because I'm a student of history. Uh, I was actually a history major. I was going to go to law school at one time, and you know, then I decided I have a soul. Um, so I just write <laughs> books about babies and blenders, you know. <laughs> um, so yeah, I did. And um, World War II history has always been very fascinating to me. And uh, my grandfather is a World War II veteran, and um, so it, it's always been of an interest to me. I've always loved reading those. I also enjoy alternate histories, things like Man in the High Castle. Uh, I loved the take that they took on what would happen if the Axis powers had won. Um, I thought that was brilliant. So um, those definitely played uh, uh, played a role um, as I developed the script. But I also wanted to... Um, I wanted to come at this in presenting it in kind of a parallel way of what happened with the Nazis taking over uh, Germany and Mussolini taking over Italy uh, and, you know, and the rise of dictators in other parts of the world at the same time. I wanted to kind of show the parallels of how that could easily happen today. You know, we 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 live in a very polarized world and I, I don't take sides in the book. I don't care if you're a right winger or a left winger or a centrist or an agnostic, whatever. Um, there's something in this book that represents everything that you hate, no matter where, no matter what it is you hate. I promise you it's in this book somewhere. Um, so clearly, but, yeah, <laughs> clearly, um, but I without to, doubt, I wanted to kind of take a kind of explore how how fragile democracy is and how unique what the government that we have in the United States is in the history of the world, because there's rarely been anything like this. I mean, it's it was called the democracy experiment for a very long time for a reason, because nobody knew if it was going to work. And, you know, now we're to a point where, OK, it did work, but now it's very fragile and we could easily fuck it up. So um, and I think, you know, there's a lot of things going on in society today that suggest that we're on that uh, on that path to fucking it all up. The other thing that I found really interesting is uh, a couple of the panels early on in, in the uh, <clears throat> excuse me, early pages. Uh, where they get into the semantic argument, we're not, we're peacekeepers, not infiltrators. <laughs> yep. They're riots, not protests. This is a proactive response to protect the people from domestic terrorists. God damn, that sounds like the news every night for the past couple of months. That might have been on purpose. <laughs> mm, it might have been, huh? 
Yeah, you know, uh, so Van Helsing, um, he's kind of graduated. I, I loved writing Van Helsing in Cult of Dracula because I took him in a completely different direction than most people um, have, but in also a direction that's very true to who the character is. You know, Van Helsing is essentially a character without morality. He's not saddled by uh, moral hangups. He's he's completely in the pursuit of knowledge whatever it takes that's what i'm gonna do and so he in you know he sees an opportunity at the end of cult of dracula to save his own skin and so he kind of switches sides and now he is essentially the joseph goebbels of the uh of the ordo dracul which is you know dracula's political faction and uh, so he's controlling the propaganda and it's very he has to be very careful to present what's happening in a way that it won't you know incite riots in the streets because he wants to win people over to support um, Dracula's rise to power or Orwell's 1984 in much the same way yes sir Yep, definitely played a huge influence with doublespeak and, uh, uh, you know, what a word means today isn't necessarily what it's going to mean tomorrow or what it meant yesterday. You know, it was something that on the surface uh, you refer to as gore porn. Mm -hmm. Um, You're such a liar. (laughs) (laughs) And, and And you know it. I mean, and that's the problem. Um, because there's so much underlying stuff going on mm. that that you're you're throwing at people uh, and you're daring them to see it. Exactly. <laughs> 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 there's you know, that that's the that's the thing, I, you know, um, there's a lot going on. Uh, there's a lot of subtext. And one of uh, one of the criticisms that I that I received with my writing, and I it's it's definitely a valid criticism, but it's also oftentimes a conscious choice. Um, I don't put a lot of street signs and guideposts and say you know go here. I don't put any exposition in. I don't do I don't I don't do any of the the voiceover type things. It's like this is what's happening. Figure out how you see it. And, you know, there's no right or wrong way to view what's going on. And, you know, you don't have to have this grand overarching scheme. You know, you just you look at what you're seeing and you experience the world for what it is. And um, so I I do like that because, you know, you can look at it at a panel. uh, All three of us could look at a panel and I guarantee you all three of us would see something different in it. And that is at one point the problem and the promise with this book. Mm. (laughs) And I think you know exactly what I mean by it. Mm. The problem with this book is that a lot of people are only going to see one thing Mm -hmm. while there's a lot of other stuff going on right here. Mm -hmm. There are some very, very deep, thoughtful things happening that a lot of people are going to miss, misconstrue, mm-hmm. or misappropriate mm-hmm. upon first, second, third, fourth reading. Mm-hmm. To be honest with you, and how dare I do that, <laughs> uh, it was my third or fourth reading because my first reading 
was, ah, shit, I got to get through this without vomiting. (laughs) Because I am not a fan of gore porn. (laughs) I'm not. I mean, it's as simple as that. That's okay. Why did I do that? I did that because my job was to get through this comic the first time. Mm -hmm. The second time it was, okay, this is a metaphor for something. And I began to see it on the second reading. And by the third reading, it began to make a lot more sense to me. And I began to really appreciate the level of subtlety that you brought into it. I appreciate that. Thank you. That's a quite a compliment. But point be told, there's an awful lot of subtlety that's easy to miss in this book if you're not careful. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. You know, not you can't get everything out of one reading or one glance. We we live in a world where we are sadly accustomed to instant gratification. We've boiled everything down, extremely complex arguments and discussions and concepts. We've boiled them down to binary answers, right, wrong, black, white, good, evil. The world's not like that. It's very complicated. And there are a whole hell of a lot of other colors besides black and white. And so, you know, as I try, as I present this book and this story that I want to tell, I'm trying to... I'm trying to tell it from a centrist position, which shows you both extremes. And there's there there is validity in a very macabre way to what Dracula wants to do. I mean, she truly and fervently believes that what she's doing is the only way to save the world, and she is the only person who's capable of doing it. That's a trait that's very common amongst dictators. Um, You know, Hitler, you know, he told the German people that he was going to save the German way of life, and he was going to save the the fatherland. And he truly believed that that's what he was doing, and he was doing all of these horrible, horrible things. And uh, Che Guevara, uh, you know, a leftist activist, he is, or, uh, you know, Fidel Castro, they firmly believe that they are that they are doing the best they can for their people and that that they are saving their way of life, but they're doing all of these horrible things in the meantime. So I wanted people to really, uh, really consider the arguments and the perspectives. You know, um, you know, Dracula's premise in this book is that Agent Smith and Thanos were right. The world is overpopulated. There's too many humans, and we can't support the ones we have. And God damn it, they just keep breeding. So Dracula thinks, okay, to save the planet, what we have to do is we have to reduce the human population down to just enough to provide soldiers, labor, pets, and food. And that's it. If you don't fall into one of those categories, then you're, you're gone. What makes you bring in the movie Cool World? <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's another good question. <laughs> All right. So that's the Ruthven sisters who are. Aside from the fact that it was a fucking great movie and I loved it. <laughs> 
It's a very underrated movie. Brad Pitt. Oh my God. Yeah. And everybody under the age of 30 has no idea what it was. And everybody under the age of 30 should see it. Oh. Yeah, I so I'm a I'm obviously a movie buff, and uh, the Ruthven sisters um, they get they're kind of my grave diggers. Uh, you know, they provide a lot of comic relief, but now they're going to have a pretty meaty story later in uh, in the series. Um, so uh, I've got this kind of thing that uh, that Babs and Lara love to just banter back and forth with each other, and um, just like my friends and I coming up, you know, we would always drop movie references into everything. So, um, and you know, it, it there, it's just really, really fun. And yeah, I get to get to show off all the movies and you know, that I love. <laughs> and yes, I'm, I'm so glad that you picked up on the, on the cool world. Uh, that was such a great drop. And, you know, I hit that, I hit that frame and I just, you know, she goes, remember the movie cool world? Hollywood. If Hollywood. She yep. And I went, yeah, I sure as hell do. <laughs> the scary part is with that frame, I got so caught up in the Cool World reference and, and, and of course, their conversation back and forth. It wasn't until my second read through, just like Dome, because I, I read it through a second or a third time, that I noticed the artwork on either side. I went, oh, wait a minute, that's disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly see that's what's supposed to happen you're supposed to get distracted either you get distracted by the art and you don't really pay attention to what was said and you're like wait what or you're you're so wrapped up in the conversation that you miss the artwork and you're like holy shit how did i miss that um yeah. and, and especially that scene because they've just um uh they've just dropped you know this this drug essentially how vampires get high because the Ruthven sisters they're party girls and uh, you know kind of goth princesses and um, so yeah so the whole world's kind of fuzzy I love the way Alex colored this scene she just knocked it out of the park with the colors because it it totally looks like uh, like you're seeing it through the the stoned vampire's eyes can can I just say one thing mm-hmm. I wish. I didn't have a digital copy. <laughs> I wish I had a hard copy of this. Well, we can raise that for you. Because there are a couple of two-page spreads <clears throat> that I really feel like I'm missing out. Yeah, you are. Um, the book looks much better in print. I love how it looks digitally. Uh, but in ha- there's something about having that paper and having it yeah. in your hand. The inks look different. The colors look different. And then, of course, the two-page spreads, you know, you just can't see those on a digital. Either they're going to be too small or they're going to be broken up. And it's just not – they're not nearly as interesting in the digital format. So I highly encourage people to go to their local comic book store and buy the paper copy. And and I'm I'm just – and I'm not saying this because it costs more for for the reader to go out and do it. But I got to tell you, you really need this in, in hard copy. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm, all I'm going to say. And the last thing I'm going to say about this book is that last frame of that last page is amazeballs. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and I have no idea what the fuck it is. <laughs> well, you got to read issue two, which comes out uh, this coming Wednesday, and you'll you'll find out. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm glad, man. I really am. I hope you do enjoy it. And if you need hard copies, let me know. I'll be happy to have some sent over to you. Um, 
when I first got this uh, in my email, I went, oh, shit. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with this? Nazi gore dressed up as vampires. And I realized very quickly. Um, Richard created something very very special. Well, thank you. And I hope so. The the buzz that he'd gotten from his original stuff with Cult of Dracula was not only well deserved, but the stuff that he'd built on for Rise of Dracula was absolutely uh, amazing. Guys, this is something you've got to see you've got to become a part of uh, as much as, you know, when I tell you that there are portions of, of, of genre that is not for me, okay? This is not for me in any way, shape or form. And I am digging the hell out of it. That so, is an amazing compliment because if you can reach people who don't particularly care for the genre, then you know you've done something right. Yeah, the Rich, story that backs this up is definitely it's well worth <laughs> working your way through the uh, the blood and the gore because there is an incredible story backing this up. There Thank truly you. is, man. This is this is this is smart. This is efficient. This is brilliant well done man thank you very much that's very high praise and i you know i'm glad that it's resonating with uh with audiences Uh, you know cult of dracula was a top 50 comic of 2021 uh rise of dracula is a number one sold exceptionally well uh issue two comes out this week it's it's selling well so i'm hoping that um I'm hoping that people stay on board and and follow the entire story because it's there are a lot of twists and turns and what you sometimes what you think you saw isn't what you actually saw. So we'll you know we'll get to. Oh, I can't imagine you'd write that smartly. (laughs) (laughs) But um, can can you do me a favor, Rich? Sure. Can you promise me that you'll come back and talk about issue two? I would be glad to anytime you guys want to have me, just uh, you guys reach out and uh, I'll be glad to come back. That sounds like a plan. Hey, man, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you. Our, Our guest tonight has been Rich Davis. The book is issue number one of Rise of Dracula, issue number one of six. Man, don't miss it. Don't screw around. Something well worth going after, something well worth finding out about. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is made possible with the support of Granite Con and Double Midnight Comics, Plastic City Comic Con, the Upper Valley Comic Expo, Dreamforge Anvil and Dreamforge Magazine, and Comic Art House. If you're looking for a great gift idea, may we suggest Sci-Fi Saturday Night's anthology My Peculiar Family, available on Amazon. The audiobook is also available on Audible. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts. 
Check out all of his amazing work at robwattsonline.com. Our outro music was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Their discography is available on Bandcamp. Thank you so much, Jojo. This is Dome saying shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. So unless it's daytime, good night, everyone. How you doing there, Dome? I am the terror that flaps in the night.